0: Hi, this is robin joy myers radio host of activate bold choices you're listening to the inspiration place with miriam shulman
1: it's the inspiration place podcast with artist miriam shulman welcome to the inspiration place podcast an art world insider podcast for artists by an artist where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art and now your host miriam shulman This is your host, artist Miriam Shulman, and you're listening to episode number 29 of the Inspiration Place podcast. I am thrilled that you're here. Today, we're talking all about fear. In this episode, you'll discover why fear is an advantage and also a gift, why alone time is so important, and also the four H's of self-doubt. For this discussion, I've invited an expert on fear. She's been featured on CU TV news radio, ABC, CBS, Fox News channel, and more. With over 25 years of experience in the corporate and nonprofit world in education, training, and mentoring, as well as a master's of science in molecular genetics, she teaches women to use fear to their advantage. She's the best selling author of Alone But Not Lonely and radio host of Active Bold Choices. Please welcome to the Inspiration Place, Robin Joy Myers. Hi, Robin. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here. Robin, the reason I invited you is because a lot of my audience are artists and people who want to be artists. And as I'm sure you're aware, Fear is one of the top stumbling blocks that keep people stuck, which is why I'm so excited to have you on to help us uncover some strategies that people can use, maybe not to live a fearless life, but hopefully one with more courage.
0: Well, as you know, I, I have an artist of my own, <laughs> my my youngest. I used to think living fearlessly, that we used to use that term, live fearlessly, and I even the same way until I really got into the science and genetics of fear, it's not getting rid of fear, it's just using it to your advantage to serve you or doing
1: things anyway, even though you're afraid.
0: Definitely, it's kind of like a wake up call to be in that moment and to choose if it's a good fear to kind of excite you as to why you're feeling it and get you very in tune to yourself as to why you're feeling that fear okay. and to move through it scientifically fear is a, a natural thing. We have it. Well, most of us have it. I'll tell you why. Sociopaths? Some don't. No, actually there's a genetic disorder. I'm a molecular geneticist and there's a genetic disorder called urbach white disease. Um, it's a mutation that blocks people from feeling fear. I, I like to think of it like, imagine going into Central Park at 3am. Um, that would You hope to have a little bit of sense of fear if you were alone, because that's probably not a good choice to make, to Just go walking through Central Park at 3 a.m. alone.
1: Mm. Before we dive into some strategies, I think it'd be really nice for um, my audience to get to know you personally a little better. So, let's talk
0: about. You said your daughter's an artist. Can you share a little bit about that? So, I have three children: uh, two boys and and my daughter. Uh, She's 22. My middle son is 24, and then I have almost 27-year-old. She is. They're all so different. It amazes me that the same two parents can have such different children. But my daughter is an actor. She decided that the traditional college was not her choice. Um really wanted to go into straight training to in musical theater and, and now wants to go more, um, not go more, but branch into eventually uh film and TV as well. Okay. So she like she
1: faces her fears every time she goes for an audition. What what advice do you give to her every time she has to do that? I mean, or what strategies is she using?
0: You know what? We have great discussions and I've learned so much from her. I think as much as she's learned from me. So she has gotten to a point to realize that she's really an equal going into that audition. Sometimes it, it works really well, but she realizes going into that audition that there could be reasons why it doesn't work out. And it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the talent. It could be, that's not what they're looking for. You're too tall. And she's very tall, actually. Mm. (laughs) You're too tall. Or, you know, we want straight hair. She has very curly hair. We want a straight blonde and you have brown hair. Or it's just not the right role. But, you know, you say your thank yous and hopefully you connect with that person down the road. So for her, she just gets very clear in her mind that I'm going in there. I'm as prepared as I can. I'm going to do what I do best. And she has gotten to the point that if she knows she's as prepared as she can be, and she's given the best audition piece that she can. If it didn't work out, it didn't work out that there wasn't anything that she would have done differently or changed or try to do better.
1: OK, so do you feel like preparation is a big key in helping people within those situations and thinking about their preparation? Not just that they think, prepare well, but that they bring that top of mind when I'm thinking of my my own son. So he's a wrestler. Like every time he goes out onto the mat, he should be thinking about all his preparation or what would, what is the number one thing that somebody needs to think about when they step on into that arena?
0: I think they should think about if, if I am prepared at my best and, you know, sometimes those days aren't a hundred percent. So let me be honest about this you know, if you are at 100%, then go give your 100% performance, even in wrestling. If you're having a 50% kind of day, because it's just one of those days, then when you walk into that arena, then by all means, give that 50%. You know what I mean? So even if you don't have that full 100% energy, then then give what you have, but give it all. She also, you know, she she really writes a lot of the pros and the cons. And um, it's a lot of mindset. It really is. I mean, my my strategies really deal with, ask yourself every morning, what do you want from this day and how do you want to feel? And within that, I always, she does it and I tell anyone I work with, I tell everybody this actually, just because I think it's a great tool, especially for for artists. You know, record yourself a message, I am powerful because... We all carry around our cell phones in your voice memos. I am powerful because, and it's your voice, whatever you say, three seconds, three minutes, but remind yourself that you're okay. And you're doing this because you want to do this. You have to believe in you. Mm. I know that sounds a little silly, but it all comes down to self-awareness and being very strong in who you are and saying, if it doesn't work out, Whatever that reason is, I'm going to go to the next thing and maybe that that's the one. And maybe that, you know, when you look back on it, there's a reason why this other opportunity didn't work out.
1: Let's bring this back firmly to artists so they can understand how this applies to them, because they may not not everyone may see the, the parallel between walking into an audition, walking into a wrestling match and facing that blank canvas, which many people are afraid to do because they also get performance anxiety about creating something even if nobody else is going to see it.
0: There is such a vulnerability that I think especially artists put themselves out into the world. And even my daughter, I know that there's times that she's building her website and there's a few videos. I said, Oh, has this gone up? And she's like, Nope, not yet. I, I, I want to change something. I want to redo it. And it's sort of the idea, like, put up what you have. We're our worst critics, right? We are, we can be our best friend, our own best friend, and we can be our own worst enemy at the same time. So the idea is to start treating yourself like you would treat your own best friend. You know, you're not going to say to your best friend who went into that audition you really blew that. Or you shouldn't have done that. You know, you're not going to get it. You're going to say, listen, go try it and you'll try another one. So if
1: you were being your own best friend and your best friend was an artist, what would you say to them?
0: I would say, trust yourself, trust your instinct and go for it. If it's what you want and everything in that description Fits what you want? No, but they're not applying for a job. They're
1: just facing the blank canvas, and they're scared to create. What do they say to themselves?
0: Honestly, it's it's trusting who you are. It, you're you're doing this for a reason, right? You're you're whether it's the audition, what whatever that art you're painting that canvas. You have the ability to paint the canvas, um, and it's probably not going to be a straight line. It's probably going to have left and right and ups and downs to it. But no, at the end of the day, you have a chance to paint a new canvas. Okay. All right. So why would fear,
1: if fear holds us back so much from even beginning, that's what a lot of people tell me. They're so scared that they they won't even start. And a lot of it is because they don't feel they have the techniques and the tools and the preparation to when they go to a blank canvas, a blank piece of paper, their blank art journal page to know what to do. So why would fear actually be an advantage Mm -hmm. in this situation?
0: Because fear allows you to live actively in the moment, very consciously, very, there's an immediate presence. You know, as I said, for instance, if you are crossing the street and your gut tells you like to stop, and you look and maybe a car is running the light, right? There, there's an instinct that fear gives you that is a wake-up call, but it, it's quick. And so it's trusting your gut. Now, here's the thing, though. Fear doesn't really begin in your in your stomach. It does begin in your brain because scientifically, there are five parts of our brain that literally are responsible for that feeling of fear. Knowing that there's this science behind it, there's a realness to it. And I just want to say it as, as an aside from that, we've always faced fear as this big paralyzing blockade. At least, even I did as, you know, growing up. If you're scared of something, for some reason, it's this paralysis usually. And what I've learned and what I, I want to make everyone aware of is that if you think of it, as a positive energy rather than a negative energy because it's a real thing Mm. that you know you can use it to your benefit you know that it's an active movement forward rather than this brick wall that is suddenly holding you back and you want to go over that brick wall or through it or around it whatever way your canvas is going to take you but it's telling you to do something with it to move with it then
1: so it's kind of like when you're you're at the beach and you're trying to ride the waves, how you have to ride with that wave of fear rather than fight it, is that?
0: You do, you do. And what's interesting with our brain is that the imprints of fear actually start from a preverbal stage all throughout your life, like until you die, seriously, until you die. When people say, I'm scared of heights, for instance, you know, I've learned now to say, did you ever fall? Fall off of something. You know, did you ever mm. jump? Or? Very often it's because we imprinted our own fears onto either our kids or somewhere along the line, it's been imprinted. You know, and I like to use the analogy when actually I did this yesterday in the city. Cutest little peanut, I don't think she was more than four years old, was scootering on her scooter down the sidewalk. And she didn't fall off until actually she stopped waiting for her mom. Mm. Her mom kind of paused and waited. And she looked at her and she was still on the ground, but her mom knew that she wasn't really hurt. And she got up and kind of grunted, and, but she got up and got right back up. So she, her mom's kind of giving that nonverbal communication of, you're okay, let's keep going. You're fine. Now, what I've also seen is, and I I probably have done it to my own children, when you jump up and you respond out of your own fear, you like, go. oh my gosh. <gasps> what are those? Yeah. <laughs> That's the child who suddenly breaks out in tears, yeah. right? Yeah. That little, little thing that might have happened almost starts an imprint of fear of falling and trying and moving forward. So if you think of it like a timeline of a four year old having that one fall, and that could just build and build and build to maybe even riding a bicycle to driving a car, you know, one little incident can literally drag. So you actually, what I say is you actually have a choice to keep the imprints that serve you. And this is really good for artists and remove the ones that don't. So for some reason, if you're really fearful of just trying something, what's the harm in not trying it? You know, what's the worst answer that you're going to get? Probably just a no.
1: What, What your story reminds me of is the way my husband and I worked on helping our kids learn to ride their bikes. So my husband took my daughter to the parking lot every week and he clutched that end of the bicycle (laughs) and he held on to that bike and followed her along. And of course, she hadn't learned to ride her bike. But then I took her out to the parking lot and I, you know, she got on the bike and I said, "Okay, go pedal and don't stop. (laughs) (laughs) So my husband's so mad because I got the credit for actually teaching them how to ride their bike, but because I was willing to let go right? and right. Let, them, let them do it, let them fall. That really is what needs to happen in any creative pursuit is you have to let yourself risk falling and not succeeding in order to do it. You're never exactly. going to have a guarantee that your painting is going to come out that that audition is going to go well, that you're going to win the match, but you have to be able to risk all of those things in order to get to the other side.
0: You have to be, and you have to be able to, to get up and try again, right? You know, the percentage of the one hit, one audition, one hit, whatever that is, is probably rather slim. And that's just growing, you know, that's just growing in life, you know, failures versus wins. and, being able to get up and, and pivot and maybe you find out you like something that's similar but could be slightly different and it opens another door as well. So so when you're feeling like you're excited but you're that little bit scared, um, it's a good thing. It's like a go for it good thing.
1: Yeah. And just to finish the analogy of the bike, I think what's what my daughter... she she was the she's my oldest, so she I have two kids. So she's the first one I taught to ride her bike. It's not that she didn't fall down when I finally let go, but she was able to ride herself long enough that she could see that it was possible. Mm -hmm. And when my husband was clutching that edge of her seat the whole time, he is basically non-verbally telling her that you can't do it by yourself. Good good analogy. So once she saw that she could do it by herself, yeah, she was going to fall. But it's the same thing with painting, too, that you you might mess up your painting, but you're not going to see what you can do until you start.
0: That's so true, though, about painting, because and you might end up with something magnificent that grew from that one stroke that you thought was the worst thing that could have happened.
1: And it's not like you do one painting and that's your masterpiece. I mean, if you look at the great artists like Monet, he did a series of haystacks, right? And we don't see the ones he threw out and we don't see the ones he painted over. We only see the ones he liked and kept. And it's the same thing. Like if you keep going until you make a mistake and you felt like you
0: ruined it, you can do it again. And next time, not do that thing that you didn't like. So... Well, that's a really good point. Even with the artist thing, you know, um, and and social media, because as you said, it was only the one piece that he liked that he put up. And I think w- with artists in particular, when you see that world of yours and people posting, oh, I've got this role, or you know, this was amazing. You don't know how many tries and what they did beforehand, or how that worked out. Right. So, congratulations and and. That's fantastic, but it doesn't mean that you're not doing it right or that you failed, I guess, is the best way to put it. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, I don't show everything I do online for, for sure. <laughs> and then there's things that I'm showing that maybe I'm pulling from the archives. So like I'm pulling the best of the best because that's what people like. And maybe they maybe they want to see my mess ups, too. Well, they, I do have a. Uh, an online membership site where they get to see everything. They'll get to see my mess ups and how I fix them. But when I'm posting things online, I tend to curate it. That's neat. So um, you talk a lot about alone time, which I love. So why is alone time so important and how does that relate to overcoming fear?
0: I think alone time is one of the most important things to do and to build into a morning routine of some sort. My book, Alone But Not Lonely, was kind of my journey of alone being a loneliness isolation time of my life until I kind of woke up and realized what alone time really should be. And what it should be is really a self-awareness time. The reason it's so important is because you really have to know who you are and you really have to know what you need and you want and what your non-negotiables are. And professionally and personally, because you're the same person showing up until you get to that. And that helps with the fear because you're going to understand as you go through that fear of, should I be fearful? And, and how am I using that fear? And it's, that's a good thing. And I'm going to shift it because I need that fear to help me move through this part of my life. So I really recommend that everyone, even if you start with five minutes and you can only get into the routine three days a week for like two weeks and then you add a fourth day to it. Ask yourself, how do I want to feel and what do I need from the day? And it's really for you to set your intentions and understand who you are. If you like to journal, great. If you like to meditate, great. If you like to listen to podcasts, you know, get a snippet of a good inspirational podcast. I know someone who likes to pick a word a week, an affirmation word a week. just focus on you and not everything else around you, which includes the family, the dog, the cat, whatever else, the lunches, it really is just your kind of sacred time.
1: My husband gets up earlier than I do to go downstairs and he has a whole routine and God forbid I should go down there in the middle of that because he told me once I'm not allowed to exist that early (laughs) in the morning.
0: (laughs) That's funny. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So, uh, yeah, so I try I try not to interrupt him with his alone time.
0: There you go. <laughs>
1: yeah. You also talk about the four H's of self-doubt. So I'm really curious about what that is.
0: Well, as we know, self-doubt can really turn our day spiraling downward very easily. And as I was saying before, you know, being your own best friend, um, we can talk so negatively to ourselves and spiral our good mood into a bad mood pr- rather quickly as well so the four h's include hesitation hiding helplessness and hypercritical talk mm. which is the negative talk
1: yeah so, a lot of people suffer from that in my audience we call it, we call it the inner critic
0: right yeah exactly Hypercritical talk just worked for my H. That's all (laughs) right. It's a
1: good alliteration.
0: Just needed the H. So, any one of those H's can stand on their own. But when you combine one or two or three or four, you really get yourself into this negative downward well, really tornado not going in the right direction. And that's part of alone time, like understanding yourself and what your triggers are. So, When I say triggers, if you feel yourself talking to yourself really negatively, or you feel like comparing yourself to the person in that audition room or in line. Or your art against somebody else's on Instagram. Or somebody's social media. Right. That imposter syndrome or anything like that. To turn that stuff off is what I I refer to as the triggers. And the, the sooner you can turn that off and close those triggers down, the quicker you can come out of it and kind of press the reset button. Okay. So that's what I mean by those four H's. So it's really important to be able to, and that all kind of piles in with that self-awareness, having that alone time to really be very comfortable in who you are. And, you know, one thing I will say is that when you kind of, evaluate your self-awareness and your self-worth and who you are and these non-negotiables like what's important for you um you have to realize that no matter what anyone is going to say to you people are going to judge you Mm. right people are always going to judge you so understand that's going to happen no matter what what you have to do though is say i know who i am Uh, I I can go to bed at night knowing I'm a good person. I did my best. I I tried to do what I could do today. Whether something happened that you wanted to change, tomorrow's a new day and a blank canvas and you're going to start again. But no one is going to be able to validate you but you. So even if there's that judgment or someone says, hey, you were fantastic today and you don't believe that, it's still not validation, right? Mm-hmm. So all of that self-awareness and, and knowing your triggers, you know, it, it all becomes really important. And I honestly do believe it starts with that morning quiet time. So Robin, what you're
1: saying is that external criticism and external praise that neither one really sinks through unless you have it, if, unless it, validates what
0: you're already feeling yourself, is that right? You really right, unless you allow it to validate you, I guess. Or believe it. Okay. Because you're the only one who can validate whether you feel like it was a I mean let's just take an audition just to take the word audition in there. Um if you felt it went then no one's going to tell you it didn't. And if you love your painting, that's And if it. you love your painting, doesn't matter if someone says i think that looks ridiculous you're it's your work and you're very happy with it right um if you don't like it and someone says i think that's the most incredible painting i've ever seen you're gonna be like you want it because i don't like it right it it really is and it does it comes down to saying this is what i'm going to accept for me you know this is my my world and it's it comes down to really self-care and it's not you know i say like Sort of like uh, when you're on an airplane, and they, they like put your oxygen mask yeah. on, and then put it on your child. Yeah, you know, if you don't take that time for you to breathe for yourself, yeah, and very often that's a great reset itself. Like, just go take a deep breath. If the nerves are getting there, yes, just go center yourself. Look in a mirror and center yourself, and take a deep breath. But if you don't put that mask on yourself, you're not going to show up for anybody else. You're not going to show so up best. True. You're not going to show up for anybody else in your life.
1: So people who've been listening to my podcast for a while, they know I have a very pretty much formal morning routine. In fact, they did a whole episode on that. If people want to check that out, it's episode number 18 as my morning rituals. But what I was going to ask you, Robin, is do you also recommend an evening ritual? Because last night I felt like I completely ruined my day. With lying on the couch watching several hours of CNN news, and I was like, I said to my husband this morning, like this, this has got to change. I have this amazing, perfect morning ritual and no nighttime routine. It's just whatever,
0: right? My evening ritual that I really love, and it's it's similar to the morning. You know, you can start out small and remember the rituals and the routines. You're really rewiring your brain, right? And we get we get into routines and it's all these neurochemicals and our neurotransmitters get used to doing things so you're training yourself to change patterns so you have to also be kind to yourself and be patient so if you had two days and you missed a third day of your routine it it's okay try again tomorrow you know it, you're building something new but in the evening i like to eventually turn off the TV, turn off the cell phones. You know, I've, I've learned to just, I'm better off just putting that down on a side. Also writing down three things that you're grateful for, three things that happened that were good that day. Like there's a way to find it even, and it's funny, I've had some days and I'm like, that's not happening. And when I really sat and made myself think about it, it it, it was, I found it. Even as far as, I'm healthy. Like, So I,
1: you do like an evening journal ritual? I
0: do. Do you have any other evening rituals? I like to, um, I actually do like a, a yoga, my own kind of yoga routine, to be oh. honest. I like to do a whole stretch and um, I try and jump rope for 10 minutes. I don't know if I always make 10 minutes, but I try. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's awesome. And you have a whole book on being alone. Is that right? I do. Tell us about the book. What would what, what we find in that?
0: So Alone But Not Lonely is my book about my journey of being voiceless through my life, most of my life. And um then going into the strategies that I used, including these routines and rituals, and then stories of others, like relationships and all kinds of other stories from other people that I interviewed. When I asked them, what does alone but not lonely mean to you? But really, for most of my life, was a very much a people pleaser. I um, was the youngest of three, like my family, ironically. I had two older brothers, and then there was me. And I didn't actually speak till I was almost four years old. I didn't have to. I could point to anything, and everybody would run and get it. And so I lived in this very protective, let's protect the, the girl of the house kind of situation, which... I guess it's cute when you're younger, but I never learned to ask for things. Mm. And so I grew up very quiet, very shy through high school, through college. And when I went into grad school and I only first went to grad school because I didn't get into medical school initially. And I went to get my degree in molecular genetics. Um, my mom got ill with cancer and she died at 53 and mm. I happened to be 21. Mm. And so my goal with my book, it was kind of, um, I guess my, my activity, my catharsis, really, but I wanted to turn it in on my 53rd birthday, which was August 11th, 2017. And Kira was 21 as well, my daughter. So it was a very weird sort of time because I realized how young 53 is and how young 21 is, you know, what an impressionable time. Cause I look at her and I was like, wow. There's so much that we have to talk about and things you need to know. And so we spent that year really like (laughs) saying the whole, like, what do you need to know? Let's just get it all out just in case. But it was a real wake up call for me. It was a wake up call in the sense of as women, I think in particular, we serve so much and we try and juggle and balance and we very often put our needs last. So for me, it was the purpose of writing the book was to get my story out there and to say, you're never too old and like my daughter, you're never too young to start. But find what you want to do and be passionate about it. And that's why I'm like, I, I love that whole artist community because I there's such passion behind what you all do. And do it, you know, take your time and and find it. You know, even if you have a family and you've got a lot of little kids, you know find that one thing that really energizes you, that you love and even if you can only do it once a month, you know just book that into your calendar that that's your special time for you. I
1: love that, Robin. There are so many women who I serve in my community who when they turn 50 or when their kids leave the nest or when they retire or or those milestones are looming ahead. Suddenly, it's when they say, okay, when is it my time? I've put myself on the back burner all this time. I've always wanted to learn to paint or draw, or maybe it was something they haven't done since college. And suddenly, they want to, as you said, put that creativity as Mm self-care, as something that they want to start prioritizing. And it's amazing that we can have this second chapter the second act in our lives where we are producing so much so many things and creativity that is you know not related to children yeah
0: yeah. no I agree I agree and and honestly for me I mean I'm I'm excited about like whatever stage this is I don't even know what you call it anymore but uh, I love it I mean I'm just getting started so
1: I completely agree I just turned 50 and somebody at the Birthday lunch. It was a very casual thing. Anybody out there who wasn't invited? But uh, (laughs) (laughs) right now, it's (laughs) very right. So I'm not even (laughs) fifty. But she asked me, uh, "What does turning fifty mean?" And I'm I'm excited too. I feel like it's my time. I'm just getting started, and I have so much, so many less family responsibilities right now that I really can focus on. Serving others in a very impactful way. And this is great. I'm so glad you came on and talked to us today, Robin. Where
0: else can uh, people find you? Go to my website. It's always in transition and, and work, but it's um, robinmyers M E Y E R S dot life. Perfect. Okay. So I will be sure
1: to put a link to your radio show and your book and your website in the show notes. So all those things are going to be in shulmanart.com forward slash 29. So thanks for joining us today, Robin. Thank you. Okay. And to wrap this all up, uh, I just want to ask my audience if they're subscribed to my podcast yet. And if you're not, I want to encourage you to do that. And whether you are or not, and you enjoyed today's episode, why don't you tell a friend because... I'm sure there's something here that if you enjoyed, they'll really feel grateful that you passed it along to them. So that's it for now. Uh, thanks for being with me here today. I'll see you next week, same time, same place. Make it a great one. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ShulmanArt, on Instagram at ShulmanArt, and of course, on shulmanart.com. Hey there, if you enjoyed this podcast, you have to check out the Inspired Insiders Club. It's my monthly membership program where you get inspiration from me. Every month I share with you techniques that I use in my own art for drawing and painting in both watercolor and mixed media. Plus each month we meet live. We talk about inspiration and ideas for how to make the art in your own style and you get to ask me questions or even get critiqued on your art. If you're feeling stuck in your art and your goal for 2019 is to unleash greater creativity or to spend more time painting, but you need a little help creating that habit, then the Inspired Insiders Club will help you get there. Come join me over at shulmanart.com. That's shulmanart with a C dot com forward slash join. I'd love to have you join me in the Inspired Insiders Club. See you there.